Thanks for listening, Unplugged Army. I'm Louis Unga, General Manager at Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass. We're proud to present Doug Franz Unplugged. Four minute offense. Four minute offense. Four minutes. Four minute offense. Four minute offense. Everything you need to know in sports that affects Maricopa County, the state of Arizona, and the world you get in four minutes. We start things off in downtown Phoenix. The Arizona Diamondbacks have Game 3 of the World Series right here at Chase Field. We start things off looking at Games 1 and 2. Diamondbacks lose 6-5 in 11 on Friday. The two aces for both teams gave up 8 runs in 11 innings. Seawald blew the save in the 11th, excuse me, in the 9th. Castro gave up a walk-off in the 11th. Game 2, all better because we had Merrill Kelly. 7 innings, 1 earned run, 9 strikeouts, no walks. Tommy Pham went four for five. Now we got game three tonight. Brandon fought the rookie on the mound for the D-backs. I don't know if it's going to be a short leash or not. Um, so we're just going to go out there and treat it like any other start and be ready to go to try to attack guys to the way we've been doing and um, try to be as efficient as possible. One Diamondbacks rookie against a former Diamondbacks rookie. Max Scherzer will take the hill in game three for the Rangers. First pitch downtown, 5-0-3. They lose 31-24 at home to the Baltimore Ravens. Two terrible interceptions from Joshua Dobbs. One physical, one mental, cost the Cardinals. Carolina won, so now the Arizona Cardinals are officially the worst team in the NFL. But they did at least score in the fourth quarter this time, Coach. Yeah, I just told them in there, the fight of this team is unwavering. Um, you know, and I feel a little pissed off because I haven't done enough on my end to get the wins going. Now they go on the road. They take on the Cleveland Browns in Ohio Sunday, kickoff 11 o'clock. Suns a winner against Utah. They won 126-104. Kevin Durant unbelievably efficient on 8 of 11 shooting. He had 26 points. They take on San Antonio now tonight, or excuse me, on Tuesday, with tip-off of that game coming up at 7 o'clock. They're a little charged up more on the defensive end, and he doesn't have to do so much, you know, and um, I thought we all leaned on him too much in the the Lakers game, and um, a far better result tonight. Head coach Frank Vogel, he's talking about the efficiency of Kevin Durant. The ball movement was 10 times better, and that partially is why Durant was able to go 8 of 11 from the field. ASU a winner, and they look great. They beat Wazoo 38-27. Scadabo had 11 carries for 121 yards and a touchdown. The defense held the Cougs to only six points in the second half. CKD was thrilled with the running attack and namely the offensive line. I really just think it's a group of people that are sick and tired and not getting it done and being competitive. And you know, it's, they got it done tonight and uh, they deserve it. Now another test on the road at Salt Lake. They take on number 18 Utah Saturday, kickoff 11 in the morning. U of A beat number 11 Oregon State 27-24. Fafita had went 25-32, 275-3-1. He was fantastic. They now take on UCLA at home Saturday, 7.30. 
Rising won 2-1 by scoring in the 116th minute. They've advanced to the conference championship round against Sacramento Saturday at 7. They lose 5-4. They scored four goals in the first nine minutes and lost. They take on Chicago tonight. And finally... Okay, this is something that you never in a million years would see coming. Thank goodness to a pet dog. A burglar broke into a home in Seattle, went inside the doggy door. And then when the homeowners came back, they saw him. He ran out the glass door in the front and escaped. And then an hour later, somebody else was walking their dog and the dog began barking like crazy at a neighbor's home and wouldn't stop barking. The homeowner called police. They found the burglar of the other house hidden under a tarp, only noticed by the neighborhood watch dog. Jackpot Unplugged Army, I feel like a true commander-in-chief to be able to give you such an unprecedented savings. Go to Unplugged at Whirlwind.com and check out the new membership club from Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass, Whirlwind Plus. Here's what you get. You sign up for a tee time anytime between now and five days from now, and you can save anywhere from a minimum of 30% up to 60% off plus 15% off at Civlik, the restaurant, and another 15% off in the pro shop. I'm telling you, you walk into the pro shop, get bowls, a shirt, and a hat, you walk over for happy hour with your wife, you might pay for your monthly membership right then and there. It's $34 a month, cancel anytime, or if you want to save even more, because that equals out to a little more than $400, you can get it for only $299 a year. Whirlwind Plus at Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass. Go to unpluggedatwhirlwind.com and feel the wind. I'm Janelle, General Manager of Bell's Nashville Kitchen, a.k.a. The Whiskey Wizard. Bell's isn't your typical country bar with mediocre bar food. We are a scratch kitchen with chef-inspired dishes in the only place you can get the best sandwich in all of Arizona, our Nashville hot chicken sandwich. Now, the drinks. I spend days infusing our own whiskey creations. Come in for Whiskey Wednesdays to learn about and drink our famous whiskey selection. We have live music most days and all weekend as part of our honky-tonk brunch. Bell's Nashville Kitchen on Main Street in Old Town Scottsdale. You found home, down home. So you learn an awful lot on a Saturday night, Halloween, walking around a college campus. And I gotta tell you, how proud I am, my wife Jennifer and myself, that at no time have I ever seen my daughter wearing what I saw Saturday night. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Whatever it is that you've decided to make Doug Franz unplugged a part of your day, my family greatly appreciates it. My name is Doug Franz, and you have found the only podcast and TV show in the world totally devoted to the coverage of the four major sports franchises of one great American city that drops on your phone and your television every weekday morning. We also cover ASU, U of A, GCU, the Rattlers, the Rising, and the Merck. This is Doug Franz Unplugged, presented by Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass. How was your weekend? What'd you do? I, uh, I, I basically worked all weekend. I did play golf on Friday with a new uh, baseball source, so that was uh, that was fantastic to spend some time with a young guy that's uh, that's involved in the game and get to know him a little bit and his 
portion of of the industry. Of course, I want to protect him and not say anything more about him. But boy, that was that was really helpful. That was Friday, and then after that, it was all work uh, all the time. Friday night, uh, all day Saturday, slept quite a while on Saturday, and then uh, and then got to work. My Saturday, however, very strange. Um, my beloved college team, the Ohio Bobcats, uh, we took on our arch rivals this weekend. The rivalry runs so deep that when I was in school, we once got in a fight that was the Ohio alumni band versus their football team, our evil arch rivals football team. Uh, yes, that's actually true. So that was, oh, thank you, thank you. I got it right. But uh, we don't even deserve that today. We don't even deserve logo announcement. It was very interesting that our football coaches decided there's no reason to get up for a rival. There's no reason to get ready. So we had more penalty yards than we have all year, played atrocious football. It's amazing that our athletic director and the people that uh, are in power at that university think that we have a good coach. Uh, But anyway, that was tough. What was crazy about my weekend is my family was very thoughtful. Nobody texted me about the Ohio game. And I kind of have, listen, I am such a Bobcat fan that I apologize to you, a member of the Unplugged Army, because I can understand you might have been frustrated with me this weekend. I stayed off of Twitter all weekend. And the reason why, listen, it's my job. I usually live tweet during games, tell you what I'm thinking. So for those of you that love the game but maybe don't know it that well, I can walk you through different things. And for those of you that kind of want to... uh, Maybe you're more of a challenger. You know, you want to discuss situations. I can say, I would do this, I wouldn't do that. And you can judge my knowledge, whether or not I end up being right on different decisions I would make during the course of a game. I stayed off of it because I didn't want to see anything Ohio Bobcats Miami. I can't believe I just said their actual name. Um, See, I'm so out of sync with how bad we played. So I I didn't want to know. I didn't want to know at all. And to not see anything I made it through the whole day nobody texted me nobody tweeted me or at least I don't know because I didn't my family didn't say anything so I got home from ASU at about 9 30 I think it was Saturday night and first thing I did was watch Ohio and them and just embarrassing it's the only thing I can think of just absolutely embarrassing so I was really upset about that and I was upset about something else on Saturday and I'll tell you what it is in just a second when we get to Doug's big one. But one thing I saw, I got to tell you this. Isn't it amazing the differences you have in life, different time periods in your life, okay? I can't imagine my reaction to this if I was in college versus my reaction to this on my way to the game. But we moved here in 2007, and I'll never forget. It took me until about 2009, maybe about halfway through 2008, to be used to the outfits that young women would wear to ASU football games. It took me a little, little while to get used to it. Well, I, I thought I was over that. I guess it was a Halloween costume, but as I am walking from my the parking garage where I'm at, Izzy and I aren't very important, so we park pretty far away from the stadium and as I'm walking this 20 21 22 year old girl whatever she was comes walking towards me with a friend and they're in Halloween costumes and from afar I just thought she had some kind of you know bikini top on sports bra on I I I wasn't really paying attention 
until I got up next, until she got really close. The girl was wearing full-on see-through lingerie and heels and absolutely nothing else. I mean, nipples out and everything. Just this mesh bra thing and had, I don't know if you call them the stirrups with the, the, from Bull Durham, you know, the little straps. Uh, it, it was crazy. I mean, it was like, wait, wh- what? <laughs> and being... An old man now, the first thing I thought of was my kid. It was like, thank God my kid doesn't do that. As opposed to if I was 21, it would have been like, hi, I'm Doug. You know, uh, who are you? It was, it was just crazy. I, I mean, I realized how, no, but this was on the street, just walking down the sidewalk, talking to somebody like they were, like they were wearing a, a I don't know, jeans and a shirt. It was just crazy. Crazy. I didn't know what my point was with that story. I just could not believe that I saw what I saw walking uh, through the streets. So that was a that was a that was an interesting Saturday. Congratulations to Kenny Dillingham. This is really cool. Kenny Dillingham sits down after ASU wins. First words out of his mouth were, "Hey, congratulations, Merrill Kelly, ASU grad, shut down baseball. Go Diamondbacks. We tied this up." So number one. Kenny gets his first ever conference win. They haven't won since week one. And that's his first words, is congratulating the D-backs. I thought that was really cool, except for one thing. That was also on the list of things I didn't want to know about. I didn't want to know that the Diamondbacks had won. I was going to watch it when I got home. And all of a sudden, I find out when I'm, sit- when I'm sitting there in, uh, in the press conference. Like, oh. So I wasn't. I was able to keep away from the Bobcat score, but I wasn't able to keep away uh, from that one. Uh, last thing before we get rolling, Cardinals, what are you guys doing? I, I don't. I don't understand this. What they're trying to accomplish here? The Arizona Cardinals usually put up their sounds so you, as a fan base, can get closer to the team. So uh, the head coach Jonathan Gannon spoke after the game. And I started looking at the files probably at about midnight uh, this morning. So I, I got to bed about one ten, something like that. And I was watching the press conference. And then I send the press conference, I send what we call timestamps to Jeff Weir Production. So Jeff can then um, cut it up and, and we can talk about it. Well, now at azcardinals.com, if you click on the Jonathan Gannon press conference, it just goes to black and doesn't show you anything. Okay, fine. Go to YouTube. If you go to YouTube and get it, the press conference with Jonathan Gannon is cut in half. Like, it starts halfway through the press conference. So what are they afraid of? Like, what is it they don't want you to hear? I, I didn't quite understand that. But I, I really did not understand why they're afraid of you knowing exactly what Jonathan Gannon thinks. So something's really screwy is going on with the Cardinals, and I just thought uh, that was weird. But we still took some sound from the YouTube site, so they get a sound credit. Suns PR, you get a sound credit. Thanks for the Frank Vogel. Uh, MLB.com is where we got Tori Lovello and Brandon Fought from. Sun Devil Source on YouTube, and then the U of A YouTube page is where we got Kenny Dillingham and Jed Fish. And I, I think that's it. Anything else you can think of, Jeff Weir Production? I can't think of anything, no. How but was your weekend? It was good. What'd you do? Anything thrilling? A lot of sports. 
And um, Tennessee my daughter, won for you, right? Yeah, they beat Kentucky. Yeah, yeah. And First time uh, they beat Kentucky in like 47 years or something? Oh, come on now. First think, time Kentucky was competitive. Oh, yeah. I think it, I think it's the first time, seriously, in like three years, was it? Four? No, oh, I don't think so. Really? It's been a long time. I mean, I'll, I now have to cheat and look that up. Yeah, we will have to look that up. Yeah. And what's your daughter doing? She had a trunk or treat at her school this weekend. That oh, we went to. oh, yeah. That was a lot of fun. Before you said treat, I thought you said trucker. Oh. And I was like, wow, what would she, she's not there yet in life to be hanging out with, the, what? Well, that's how my Southern gets in two words, trucker. You know, I got to tell you, this is funny. <laughs> when I first moved to Alabama, um, I, I needed an oil change pretty quickly. So I called this place that I found, people are going to laugh, I found it in the Yellow Pages in uh, 1998. And uh, so I looked it up. Found this place, I, and, and I call and uh, ask him, uh, hello, this is Huddle Tar. And I I said, what? Huddle Tar. And I I, I said, hi, I, 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 was, I was calling for an oil. Yeah, we do oil changes. I said, oh, where did I call Huddle Tar? I said, I, I am so sorry. I, 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 did, I thought it, I had legitimately thought I called some road construction company, and he was saying Huddle Tar, T-A-R. And then he goes, well, I said tar. And I, I go, wait, do you, do you – are you saying tire? And the guy goes, I'm not tired. <laughs> <laughs> I, I said, okay. But you do oil changes, fine. So I went in there. there you know, big letters, tire, right there on Huddle Tar. And I, I so I, I kind of learned. I just got to slow down a little bit, figure out what people are saying. and uh, But it only took me – like I was scared to death for a little while, but in about six months it's like I never want to leave this place. I absolutely loved living in the South for the five years that I, I did. Huddle Tar, I'll never forget that story. All right, you ready? Let's roll. Doug's Big One. This is where I give you the biggest opinion I've got. And normally, it's sports-related. Today, it's a tiny bit sports-related. But I've got to ask the government of the state of Arizona, or namely a group of you called ADOT, who runs you people? Who is the ignorant fool that makes decisions at the Arizona Department of Transportation? Last week, in case you don't know, we had this thing called football, okay? Last weekend, Arizona State at Washington, the Cardinals at Seattle. In case you didn't know this, ADOT, that's the same city, Seattle, where UW is as well. So with both teams gone, what road construction do we do? Nothing. Then this weekend, with ASU at home on Saturday and the Cardinals home on Sunday, let's shut down the 10. Who are you people? This is, I mean, the ignorance of this that nobody plans ahead and looks at the football schedule and says, you know what, this might not be the weekend to shut down the 10. The 10 was shut down from the 202 to the 60. So therefore... It backs up like nobody's business throughout the tunnel. And then you get people diving in and out of the interstate, trying to get off, trying to get on, whatever. It took me 15 minutes to get from Goodyear to the tunnel. It took me 45 minutes to get from the tunnel to Arizona State. Who are you guys? Then on top of it, now I didn't have to deal with this, but I'm thinking of all of you Eastsiders who are trying to get home 
from the Cardinals game and the 10 shutdown. So if you live in like Gilbert Chell, you got to go all the way around now. You've got the 202, and that's kind of what it, the crap that they deal with us on the west side. See, all of you on the east side, you've got like seven different ways to get home. On the west side, we've only got the 10. That's all we got. Take the 10. So when ADOT screws with us, we got butkus. I, somebody please light these people up. ADOT, what are you doing? Get out of schedule. Listen, I got news for you, Ada. You might not know this. There's a thing called March Madness coming up. And they're going to do something crazy this March. They're going to hold March Madness in March. So the final four is going to be at the end of March, first Monday of April. Okay? Let's not do road construction during that time. Because we're going to have the final four. You guys don't know this. It's a secret, Dot. We're going to have the final four here. So since we'll have the final four here, let's not shut down the 10 during the final four. Now, you may think, Doug, why would you say that? We're not going to shut down the 10. How do I not know that? You shut it down when there's two home games? Just. (laughs) Who makes these decisions? Like, how do you get somebody that's that clueless? Nobody in the group stands up and says, you know what? Why don't we choose a weekend where ASU and the Cardinals are both on the road? And that's when we'll shut down the 10. I understand construction needs to be done, but oh my gosh, you guys are already terrible. The roads right now are worse than they've been in years. And yet you finally decide, you know what? We should probably do something about this. Let's choose a weekend where people need it. I got another idea, dot. just so you know. There's a new thing that's going to happen. Baseball has just invented it. Spring training. So this year, they're going to have, I don't know, let's say 15 Major League Baseball teams are all going to come to Arizona in February and March, and they're going to play games all throughout Maricopa County. All right? Let's get our construction done before March Madness. Maybe after football, before March Madness. I don't think the Cardinals are going to the playoffs. You'll have a lot of time. In December, January, February, to get all of that stuff done. And then when people come to visit to see the Final Four or to come to visit and see the NCAA, or excuse me, uh, spring training, they don't get stuck in traffic because you're not shutting down highways. I have an idea the calendar. That's what you're going to start doing, ADOT. Use the calendar. 45 minutes to get from the tunnel to ASU. I don't know how far that drive is. I'm going to I'm going to ballpark it at what? 9 miles? Maybe maybe 9 miles from downtown 202 to to get to uh uh say Priest. 9? Some feel free to look it up. 45 45 minutes to go 9 miles. On a game day. I just, Please tell me if you think I'm being a jerk. Really. I mean, that's that's kind of a loaded question. That's kind of scary to ask the Unplugged Army because you could easily come up, come back and just rip your commander in chief. Yeah, Doug. Those, I'm not saying the real workers of ADOT don't work hard. Okay? not I'm not ripping those guys at all. They work whenever they get work. I'm talking about decision makers that actually aren't smart enough to say, we should probably look at a football schedule before we shut down roads on weekends. That one amazed me. 
Like, we're always amazed at bad decisions by government entities. You'd think I would be smart enough to not be amazed by it anymore. That one amazed me. All right, let's get to uh, Diamondbacks. I've been giving you about an hour of pregame. I don't know if it'll go that long today, but I want to dive in and go pretty long and give you as much Diamondbacks as we can. I'll tell you what, let's let's do that after this. Uh, let me make sure I get a break um, in before I dive into Diamondbacks, Jeff Weir production. Uh, what we're I got a lot. Here's the thing that you really want to look forward to. The, the story that Tori Lovello told about Tommy Pham pretty much explains this team to a T. And it's a tough question on whether or not any of us would have been the same way. I'll explain in a minute. This is Doug Franz Unplugged, presented by Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass on WTSMTV.com. I don't know if it's going to be a short leash or not. Um... So we're just going to go out there and treat it like any other start and be ready to go, try to attack guys to the way we've been doing and uh, try to be as efficient as possible. It's hot. We've had a pretty hot summer here in Arizona. Who can you trust with your air conditioning? There's only one place my family has ever trusted in Arizona, and that's Parker and Sons Heating, Cooling, Plumbing, and Electrical. Call 602 to repair. That's 602, the number two, then R-E-P-A-I-R for Parker and Sons. And the reason why I suggest them to you as passionately as I possibly can is I know they've showed up on time to my home every time. And they've gotten it right the first time every time. And they've treated me fairly every time. What else can you say? Plus, they don't charge anything for nights, weekends, emergencies, that means something because when your air conditioner goes out in the summer in Arizona, that's an emergency. You need repairs fast and you can trust Parker and Sons. How do I know? Because my family does. 6022 repair. That's 602, the number two, then R E P A I R for Parker and Sons. Rosati Sports Pub in Chandler. It's on Ray and McQueen. Sounds like a sports bar. What's the difference? You walk in and they actually have games on TV with the sound on. How many times do you walk into a supposed sports bar and they've got loud music on or somebody playing live or some kind of trivia game going on and you're there to watch the game? If you're like me, a simple guy, give me my pizza, give me my wings, give me my cold beer and make sure I can hear the Suns and D-backs, then you want Rosati Sports Pub at Chandler. All members of the Unplugged Army, welcome. Rosati Sports Pub, give me the game. I uh, in the Catholic religion, there's a, there's a part of certain churches, not all, where they say, "Hey, greet everybody around you to start mass," and then about eighty percent of the way through mass, we call it the sign of peace, where you turn around and if you are afraid of diseases, you just kind of go like this and and nod at people, or this is a peace sign, and that and that these weird people will go like this and just like flash a deuce at everybody it's kind of strange and then normal people who understand that uh, you're not going to die uh you'll shake somebody's hand and you say peace be with you and uh, so i at the at, at the beginning portion of mass when it was just the meet and greet i don't mind mixing sports and religion during the meet and greet i don't like to do it near the when you're actually in the heart of mass so i i told everybody hi go d-backs go d-backs go d-backs and this woman in front of me says what are you saying like that. I said, go D-backs. 
She goes, D-backs? I said, yeah, they're a local baseball team. Oh, yeah, they're in the World Series, right? I said, yes, yes. She had no idea. Go D-backs. It was kind of uh, it was kind of entertaining to me that that uh, that, that uh, hey they got uniforms and everything. So give me if you could uh, Jeff Weir production. I'll go Tory two. I, I want to have fun with it first, and then we'll get serious. So we'll go Tory two, and uh, and then I'm going to go with Fought uh, one two three, and then we'll go back to Tory one. Um, this is Tory Lavello talking about what happened in game two now in game two i got a lot to say about the world series both for today and for friday and saturday in game two tommy fam went four for four two singles two doubles scored two runs and nobody in baseball history world series started in 1903 and they've had a World Series every year from 1903 until 2023, except for two. They didn't have one in 1904, and they didn't have one in 1994. Other than that, they've had a World Series every year through all kinds of wars. And yet no one has ever had a five-hit game in the history of the World Series. So Tommy Pham has an opportunity to come up and get a five, get his fifth hit in the top of the ninth inning, and he gets taken out for Jace Peterson to get an at-bat. And the team is already up, I believe it was 7-1, to one, going into the ninth inning. So there was, you know, I understand a little bit, hey, you're up 7-1, give people a rest. But normally, you don't give somebody a rest that has a chance at history. And Tommy Pham had a chance at history. And Tori Lovello just got torched, torched online for stealing Tommy Pham's opportunity to go 5-for-5. Five Nobody knew it wasn't Tori Lovello that stole it. I'm not on Twitter. I'm not on social media, but my family will send me things. And I guess I was the, the idiot in the room that took Tommy Pham out of the game, right? To be the first time, first guy to get five hits. This was to me a true team moment. Tommy Pham knew, I'm sure he knew because he is extremely smart and pays attention to some things that um, you wouldn't expect a major league baseball player to pay attention to. I am guaranteeing you he was aware that he had a chance to get five hits. He came to me, and I, I know that he said it, so I'm gonna openly say it. He came to me and he said, I need you to give my boy an AB. And I said, are you sure? You 100% sure? And I, said, I gave him some contingencies. I said, if it's 7-1, that's the only score that I'll allow it to happen. 7-2, lefty-righty, I'm gonna reconsider it, and I'll circle back with you. We all know what happened, um, but this was a moment where it was a teammate loving a teammate to give him an opportunity. He took what mattered most to him personally, number one on the list, and said, it's more about the team and my teammate at this moment. That spoke volumes about what that clubhouse feels every single day. It's a really important story, not only to validate just how the Diamondbacks feel about each other and the things that we're hearing about this team. But it's also really cool for Tommy Pham. Tommy Pham is he's kind of a nut. I mean, I yell and scream like crazy about guys not taking the game seriously enough or or being a true professional. And then I'm intimidated by Tommy Pham's intensity and professionalism. I mean, this guy is – listen, he, he has this attitude that says, hey, I'll have fun when my career's over. Right now, this is my life. This is my world. 
and he was really needed to be brought in to create that little edge of competition that this team really missed. Really, it was just absent game in and game out. And you look at some of the guys who don't take the job as seriously as Tommy Pham does. Pham was really, really important in changing that. And yet you hear a story like this. It'll be interesting to see what happens to him in free agency and how many other people want a guy like that. The uh, Okay, so Brandon Fott's going today. And uh, he, had, he had an interesting press conference, okay? One of them is just simple of being recognized what he felt like was for the first time he was simply asked since his postseason success he doesn't have a decision yet he's 0-0 in the postseason but the Diamondbacks are 4-0 when he pitches so he was asked what has anything changed since you've had this run of postseason success yeah I think for the first time ever um Three weeks ago, me and Ryan Nelson went out to eat, and this kid walks up, and he's like, hey, can I have a picture? And we're like, wait, is, does he recognize us, or, or we just he just wants a picture? And uh, that was a pretty cool, pretty cool moment. Um, so, yeah, a little bit, but not as much as you would think. It does make me laugh. And it is a sign of of Phoenix, you know. I uh, like for an example, after my beer swilling uh, video, some Dodger fan tweeted me that I was a bandwagon fan, and uh, and I, I laugh at that, but that is totally the reputation. And I'll never forget. I was at a Suns game. Gosh, maybe twenty sixteen. Coyotes fans, you'll have to help me. The year that we went into the playoffs and upset Chicago and Nashville and then lost to the Kings in the Western Conference Finals. So I, I, I think that was 2016. I can't remember for sure what it was. But I'm walking through the arena for a Suns game. And here comes Shane Doan and some members of his family walking by. And I said, Shane? Like, wait, what? And he goes, oh, hey. And we just started talking for a little bit. And then I I said, I got to tell you why I was in shock. You can just walk through here? And he goes, oh, yeah, yeah. Like, nobody stops you? He goes, Doug, I'm a hockey player. <laughs> and that, that amazed me that the fan base is so bad. And you could have tried to argue maybe we're just so kind, but I don't think that's it. It's that nobody recognizes Shane Doan. And Shane said he gets recognized when he walks around Westgate after a game. He said he, won't, he wouldn't go out to dinner at Westgate after a game on the west side because then you have all the Coyote fans, boom, going to get a drink, and now he's right there. But he said other than that, yeah, rarely happens. No big deal. So here's Brandon Fott saying, yeah, one. One guy, one young guy said, can I get a picture? And that's all that you could tell that that's uh, Brandon Fott. So then he was asked a different question about, you could tell the writer was trying to get the juxtaposition as the AAA championship last year, Reno was in it, and Brandon Fott pitched game seven. And since that ends before the World Series starts, since the minor league World Series ends before the actual World Series starts, 
He was asked about watching the World Series at home. What did you do? Who did you watch it with? And you could tell the general theme was this guy's writing an article about how crazy it is to go from sitting on your parents' couch watching the World Series to pitching in the World Series. So when asked about going home and watching sports, Brandon Fott blew up this guy's question to a level that nobody ever expected. Then there was a follow-up about what what do you watch? Honestly, I don't really even watch sports, um, <laughs> to be honest. I think I watched one World Series game uh, last year, and I was definitely back at home. That was after the AAA championship, so... Um, so yeah, where's home? Good. It's in Kentucky. Kentucky. Kentucky, in Louisville or Louisville? Or? Yeah, Louisville actually, but I'll I'll say Louisville. To, okay, sorry. Yeah, all good. We won't get into that. I really don't have an answer for that. I love sports. Okay. I love all all sports. I just actually just started. This is my first year of fantasy football, so I just started watching football. I kind of like it. <laughs> <laughs> To me, that's hilarious. But if I'm baseball or if I'm what – a, what an issue of the how do we get the 20-year-old, basically the teenager moving into 20, how do we get these guys to like sports? I mean, what a shock that – all of these guys are, hey, I saw the hi- I saw three highlights on Instagram, so I saw the game. That's all I need. I've already seen the game. That that floors me that you're not riding the tide of going through the emotions of everything. This isn't just a guy that says, I'm a professional athlete, I'm sick of watching. Like I kind of know those guys. I know a lot of guys who play prof- who played professional sports and they they don't love watching their professional sport very much they're just kind of sick because it's work it's like i want to get away from that but almost all of them are sports fans to hear brandon fought that i only watched one world series game you know i don't really like watching sports that much and then yeah i I just found uh um uh football yeah i kind of like it (laughs) what now that louisville 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 thing is kind of hilarious the, everybody from Louisville just says it like that, Louisville. And I am um, so used to hearing it. I'm from not too far from Louisville. I could probably get there in about two and a half hours maybe. Uh, maybe not quite that long, maybe two, uh, from uh, from my hometown. But therefore, you kind of just say, fine, I'll say Louisville too because I know that that's what you guys say. And, uh, you know, I was from, uh, about an hour away from Kentucky. But the rest of the nation all says Louisville, and and it is, you know, King Louis and then King Louis. But I find that funny that he, he said, yeah, Louisville, and then he stopped himself because he was so uncomfortable saying it the way that the, uh, the other guy said it. And then uh, now let's get uh, a little more serious. I thought this was pretty deep. He was asked about Brent Strom, the great pitching coach that's helped immensely with Brandon Fought, and just to try to say, hey, you've been up and down twice. You got sent down to the minors twice this year, back down to Reno. What has Brent Strom's role been in you going up and down this year? Yeah, he was the focal point of it all. Uh, I think going going down, he, he had a few things to work on, and and – he was dedicated to the process and, and so was I. And 
we kind of met in the middle and 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 worked on those things and became a better pitcher. Brent was awesome during the during the process, and he, he's still we're still working on things. The, in previous quotes, he talked about Brent Strom even during the All Star break, sending him notes of what we're going to work on, what you know, where your mind should be, and things like that. And the fact that Brent, in that sense, never took a day off, I think, is really, really powerful, especially to be here, where a rookie has been one of the more consistent starters all postseason for the Diamondbacks, and. He was, I admit, one of the main reasons why I didn't think the Diamondbacks would be here once they got to the postseason. I mean, nobody thought they'd be here at the beginning of the year. But, I mean, I picked the Brewers and the Phillies to win in two series. Now, I also picked the Diamondbacks to beat the Dodgers and the Diamondbacks to beat the Rangers. So, hopefully, I end up two for two in this postseason. But when I looked at a best-of-three series, Zach Allen seemed to be a little bit up and down going into the postseason, Merrill Kelly a little bit up and down, and Brandon fought mostly down, I had no doubt that they weren't going to beat the Brewers because of that. And then the offense just exploded, and Brandon Fott looked really good, and then Fott was outstanding against the Dodgers and really good against the Phillies, and now all of a sudden we're here. And it has a lot to do with Brandon Fott, but you've got to look at all of those little areas along the way of of Brent Strom walking him through being sent down, what he needs to work on and getting back up now. The key for him today in pitching at home is really don't do anything different. And I, I don't think he will because even though the World Series is so much bigger than a league championship series, than a divisional series, than a wild card series – this is all just postseason number one. I think it's different if you're a five, six-year veteran, you've never been to the World Series, but you've been to a couple playoff games. Then I think you totally feel the weight of this brand new thing of the World Series. Then I do. Then I think that can get to you. But if you're Brandon Fought, look at the environments that he has pitched in already. Brewers have a really good fan base and he's able to get his team a win there. He doesn't have any wins, but his team gets that win. And then he's also able to handle the kind of sense the crowd in Philadelphia because uh, he pitched at home in the first game. But then he pitched game seven in Philadelphia, which is probably the second greatest home field advantage. Fenway Park might be number one. Maybe Yankee Stadium is. At least old Yankee was. But he's pitching in one of the best, I, I guess I could say in reverse, one of the worst places to be a rookie. He's felt all of that now. So this is all like normal for the last month when you're a rookie. So I don't think it's going to be a pressure thing. Texas might get to him. The Rangers might light him up. He gives up a lot of solo homers. That could still happen today very easily. But I don't think it'll be a pressure situation with uh, with Brandon Fott. Uh, last thing on, on that part of the World Series is uh, Torrey Lovello, uh, if you haven't seen it, Christian Walker is is totally the tale of two stories here. His defense is already gold glove caliber, and it's getting even better. If you, his backhanded play, oh, my God. Wow. Ground bar, a line drive hits the base, so the ball is curving towards foul territory on, on a line. 
hits the that's kind of funny curving on a line hits the base and bounces back to the first baseman's right so christian walker's going to his left to get ready to try to field a short hop hits the base and he comes back up with the right hand grabs it makes the play flips it on and then his scoop of the perdomo throw keeping his foot on the base while he's able to fight that ball in the dirt wow legendary stuff from christian walker in this series but his offense, horrific, horrific. Christian Walker, I'm, I'm doing quick math because he was batting 163. He went one for five. So he actually lifted his average to a – I think – I'd have to look it up, but I think he's batting about 173 right now in the postseason. Just horrible. I mean, I mean he's just an easy out basically. And when you hear that, that's an, a major issue that that's your cleanup hitter. But Tori Lavella was stuck with him all the way. And Tori was asked about Christian Walker being able to compartmentalize the situation offensively and defensively, stay focused on defense, and then his growth since he took over the spot from uh, – how about that? I almost forgot Paul Goldschmidt's name. That he was able to take over the spot from Goldie. And at the time, he wasn't a very good defender. Well, I mean, his glove is made of gold, right? And I think he's going to be strongly considered for another one this year. Um, but that came with a price. There's a lot of hard work and there's a lot of blood, sweat and tears and some freckles that he's left on that field to prep for those moments. Um, I was amazed at the play he made yesterday. Everybody knows what it's like when you go to field the ball and it, we all can go back to that time when it takes a ricochet and goes in a totally different direction. Um, that was athletic. He was prepared for the unknown. He didn't take anything for granted and he made a great barehanded play. You know, those are the little things that he just instinctually is able to do, but he cycled through some, some tough times, some very lean times and, um, did it because of the hard work that he put in. Tony Perischica deserves a lot of credit, but Christian deserves all, mostly all the credit for the, the time that he spent out there on RJ or Gonzo and field one that nobody knows about. He's a complete baseball player. Cool that he threw out there about RJ and Gonzo. Uh, there's been a couple of times I've walked around Salt River in spring training and all of a sudden, Gonzo in baseball pants and a Diamondbacks uh, workout shirt comes running by in spikes and a glove that he's actually on the field working with the guys. Uh, Jeff Weir Production pulled up Christian Walker's stats. Let me get a look at it so I can see what he's doing in the, uh, in the postseason. Yeah, 167 right now uh, in the postseason. So it went up four points on his one-for-five day. Two, uh, 339 on base percentage. That's not as terrible as I would have guessed. And the OPS at 631, yeah, that's pretty terrible. OPS is a weird stat because it makes perfect sense and it makes no sense at the same time. That stands for on-base plus slugging. So you take your on-base percentage and your slugging percentage, you add it together. The reason why it's weird is it's two totally different formulas that don't correlate. It's almost like saying, one plus one equals two with this formula. One plus one equals three in this formula. And then we'll just add the three and the two and we'll say five. It's like, well, wait a minute. One plus one doesn't equal three. Well, it's five. It doesn't make sense. Yet, it's so easy to just look at that number and say, is it 900 or is it not? Because you want your on-base percentage to be 400. You want your slugging percentage to be 500. So therefore, added together, it's 900. 
Well, that's elite. Okay, above 900 is elite. But what if a guy doesn't get on base as much, but he crushes the ball? So you're getting a higher slugging percentage. What about the guy that might not get uh, a ton of extra base hits? I should say a ton of triples and homers, but he gets a lot of doubles, a lot of doubles. And he gets on base pretty consistently. Well, now by using OPS, it's almost as if to say, I don't care how you get to the 900. Even if you have 800 and 100, which is virtually impossible. But with 800 and 100, that's good enough. You have that and boom, you're at 900. So OPS, how close are you to 900? And being at 630 is a disaster for a guy that's batting cleanup. Yesterday, I was on 12 News. I do a hit with 12 News every Sunday night, and Cam Cox said something interesting. If you don't know the story about um, oh, who? Uh, Trey Turner. Sorry, I blanked on his name. The story about Trey Turner, he's a member of the Philadelphia Phillies. Terrible year. Not going well at all. Fresh off of a $300 million contract. Got booed in April. Feeling the weight of this like crazy. And then in August, August 4th to be specific, he comes to the plate and the fans give him a rousing standing ovation. Just a crazy show of support. Like, you really are ours. We're glad you're here. Yes, we've been booing you all year, but it's because we're Philadelphia. You're getting paid a lot of money. We expect greatness. But now we can see this slump is almost personal. It's so deep. It's affecting your soul. That's not what we mean. You're our guy. And this big round of applause propelled him to have a legendary August and September. And he almost carried him to a World Series. Cam Cox said he wants to see the same thing tonight for Christian Walker. Told anybody that's coming to the game, when Christian Walker gets announced in the bottom of the first inning, hopefully in the bottom of the first inning. I say hopefully because he bats cleanup, and technically it could be waiting until the bottom of the second inning. But whenever he comes up for the first time, huge standing ovation. Just go nuts for Christian Walker like you've, ne- like, like you've never gone nuts for another player before. Go crazy for Christian Walker because Christian Walker for so long has fought the wars, has been the team guy, has done whatever it takes to win even on bad teams, and now it's almost like he was there for everybody else in this organization. Now he needs us. And that's kind of hard for one sportscaster to get something out there and everybody does it. I'll never forget, uh, I was the first one that I had ever heard of really get on Tim Duncan for taking so long to shoot his free throws. So I, I thought, you know, Doug and Wolf, we're huge. We're, we're the biggest show in the world. Hey, guys, everybody go to the game and do this. And when Tim Duncan, as soon as he gets the ball, start counting. One, two, three. Force the referees to make a call. Get in Tim Duncan's head. Well, everybody does it now for Giannis. But I was the one that was saying, let's do it to Tim Duncan. And I thought, man, this is going to be amazing. We're going to have 20,000 people doing this because Doug from Doug and Wolf said so. I get to the game that night. I I think there were nine. Maybe I had as many as 15 out of the 18,000 people. I had 15. No, not 15,000. Just just 15 <laughs> people that were standing up. One, two, three. And like you could tell everybody that was around a guy yelling. was like, what is this Yahoo doing? Why are we doing this? What does this even mean? So I appreciate Cab Cox going after it. 
I wanted to help him on that so he didn't feel as dumb as I did when I sat there when Tim Duncan was at the uh, was at the free throw line. The other thing to look at for today, I really believe in the stat. Whoever gets the lead first, I don't know if you've seen it. Um, right now in this series, or right now in this postseason, both teams are undefeated when they score first. They have had some come from behind wins. Each team has had some come from behind wins. But they've never allowed somebody else to come from behind and be able to uh, win a game going into, let's see, da, 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 yeah, so far. Even the Rangers in game one, they scored two on Zach Allen in the first. And even though they lost the lead, they did win the game. So both teams undefeated when they score first. How do you do that? Of course, we love the idea of the slug. We love, we love the idea of them coming after it. The thing about what Max Scherzer does is Max Scherzer is normally a guy that you want to be aggressive on on his first fastball that he throws. That's going to be the best chance you have to get a hit. But with him coming off of an injury and looking so bad against Houston, I would not do that in this game. I would take a much more patient approach against Max Scherzer. Let's see if he sees the strike zone today. Let's see if he's really healthy and able to attack you before you over get overly aggressive with him because I think swinging at bad pitches would allow Max Scherzer to get into a groove and then pitch later in the game and more specifically be the Max Scherzer of old. I don't want to let him get into a groove. I want to look, stare him down and make him throw me strikes. Foul balls off, take a pitch or two, and that is not in Cattell Marte's uh you know, kind of thought process at all. He's never one that likes to sit and relax against somebody. Now, Cattell Marte is going to more than likely be batting second today. Corbin Carroll will be batting leadoff. But I'm watching that from the beginning. Of I don't want to see early count aggression today. Maybe in the third, fourth, fifth innings, if Max Scherzer goes rifling through the first and second and he's throwing strikes, okay. Now let's adapt but so far since the injury, Max Scherzer has struggled to find the strike zone. Let's not help him by getting early strikes. That's my game plan for uh, Max Scherzer today. As far as the games over the weekend, wow for Saturday. I think we would all agree on that. Uh, I had a, a little bit of an issue on uh, on Friday's game with how they handled Adolis Garcia. Everybody knows that this is one of the hottest men in the pla- on the planet. And there are times you pitch to people and there are times that you don't pitch to people. And I looked at the the situations. Um, they pitched to Garcia in the first inning in which you already had an Evan Carter RBI double. With first base open, I don't like the idea of pitching to Garcia with first base open. Now, I'm the one, and I, I don't want you to think I'm a hypocrite. Last week, I said, you know, you can attack Adolis Garcia even when he hit the grand slam. He struck out four times. Yes, go after Adolis Garcia when it's an intelligent move. I hope you trusted me enough that I said go after him when you can, but you knew, okay, let's not be stupid about it. You've got a a runner on second in scoring position. Why would you pitch to him then? I thought that was pretty dumb of Torrey Lovello. Torrey Lovello hates the intentional walk, hates it. 
And he hates the idea. Of, he basically look at it as, as a free chance to be a runner. Well, I kind of look at it like this. If you're walking down a street and you need to turn left or right, you look to your left and there's a guy standing on the street with a baseball bat in his hands. You look to your right and there's a guy with his hand in an oven mitt. Which way are you going? I don't know about you. I'm going to go towards the guy in the oven mitt. Just call me crazy here. I'm going to try to negotiate, walk my family past the guy in the oven mitt, not past the guy with a baseball bat. Adolis Garcia is the type of person that he's much less dangerous while standing on first base wearing an oven mitt than he is while standing at the plate with a bat in his hands. So when can you challenge him? Well, base is empty almost always. I'll get to that in a second. Base is empty, go ahead. But when you've got traffic and a base open, boy, that's that's a mistake. So first inning mistake, game one, pitching to Garcia. The next time he came up, I don't know if they pitched to him. In the third inning, again, another Carter double, first base open. But it was a walk to Garcia, and only one pitch was a competitive pitch. So I didn't mind that at bat. They didn't intentionally walk him, but I didn't mind it because they didn't really give him anything to hit. Two outs, nobody on. In the fifth inning, they pitched to him, and uh, uh, Zach Allen was able to get a ground out. Good job pitching to him there. In the ninth inning, they plunked him. I didn't mind pitching to him there because the bases are empty. Seager had already hit the two-run homer to tie it, and you've got your best player, best pitcher in the bullpen on the mound. That's a good time to go after him. Even in the bottom of the ninth, even when he could win the game right then and there, I didn't mind them pitching to him, and I was wondering if by hitting him, it was we're not going to throw him a strike. So that might have been an unintentional, intentional walk as well. So I didn't flip out about that one. I was nervous, but I didn't flip out. The 11th inning, I flipped out. And the reason why is Castro has had quite a few blown saves this year. Castro's not very good. And the idea of pitching to Garcia with a lower member of the bullpen, that one made no sense to me. Absolutely no sense. So I want to be clear, I would have pitched to Garcia if I had a higher quality pitcher in the 11th inning. And if he hits a walk-off homer against one of my better relievers, I'm the one that's got to eat it. I got to sit here in front of the camera and tell you I like the decision to pitch to him. Or if I'm the pretend manager, I'm the one that gets ripped in the press conference to pitching to him, even though I just said that fun line about baseball bats and oven mitts. I would have pitched to him with a quality pitcher. Pitching to him with Castro... I, I just, Tori, that was to me really bad. Because let me ask you the question, Tori, where is where is a better chance of Adolis Garcia hurting Castro, standing on first base with one out, or standing at the plate when he's one swing away from winning the game? I, there's an old adage: you never put the winning run on base. I understand that. I understand that. But this is one of the few times I would be interested in the analytics over old school. Old school is you never put the winning run on base. Never. Ever. Okay, I get it. I get that's old school. But I would really like to know the analytics of a player that's that hot. Now, granted, analytics don't believe in hot. But a guy that's hitting the ball that well over this short period of a time where you say how often he can win the game from home 
uh, with a bat in his hands from the batter's box and how often he wins the game as the winning run when he's standing on first. I believe you would have been safer putting him on first and then pitching to Garver. Are you really scared of Garver? It would have been um, uh, Austin Hedges coming up. Would you? Were you scared of Austin Hedges? He he he'd only had one bat in the entire postseason, and he got embarrassed in three pitches. I look at the rest of the lineup. Nathaniel Lowe could probably go yard, but I'm not worried about him. And uh, Josh Young. Okay, with that being the rest of the lineup – why pitch to Garcia right there? Again, you're putting the winning run on base. But I'm not doing it with a pitcher like Castro. If if he would have went yard on Seawald, I can understand a lot of people would have attacked me because I would have said, nope, I'm pitching to him. Wait, he just gave up a home run to Seager. Yeah, I know. I'm still pitching to him. I'm still pitching to him. That's Seawald's job. He's in this moment. Go get him. Not Castro. I thought that was bad. Nothing to really talk about in the 9-1 to game. They beat the snot out of him. That was awesome. That was, that was just played great. All right, coming up next, we got a lot of football to talk about. ASU, the Cardinals, and U of A all looked fantastic. And a little bit of Frank Vogel. And a free shout-out to the Rising today. They've won three games in the postseason already, and they've made it to the conference championship round. Two wins away from a championship. Good luck, Rising. We're talking American football next. This is Doug Franz Unplugged, presented by Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass on WTSMTV.com. It's big, it's juicy, it's meaty. Get your burrito at Burrito Express. If you're having a hangover, a bad day, even a good day, still get your burrito at Burrito Express. It will make you feel better. Burrito Express started with my father about... 25 years ago, he got laid off and decided that he needed to do something to provide for his family. My brother and I were older teens, 17, 18 year old, and I'm gonna do a trial out of my house. So literally we decided we're gonna start out of his house. So we delivered uh, menus in a square mile area, literally started delivering burritos out of our home in Mesa, Arizona. And after about a month, he said, let's do this. Went and found his first location. And believe it or not, that's how it started. We started with one location back in 1995. Now we're where we are now. I don't I don't think this one constitutes finding ways to lose for the Cardinals this weekend. Cardinals uh, a loser but this one this isn't finding a new way to lose. This is just terrible quarterback play and you couldn't overcome it. And the Cardinals actually scored in the fourth quarter, so congratulations to them. They haven't scored in the fourth quarter since the Dallas game. Dobbs went 25 of 37 for 208 yards, two touchdowns, two picks. This was the there's been a couple times Drew Petzing has done something as offensive coordinator that I, I haven't really agreed with, and that's all right. And he will always know more football than I do. But this was the first game where I really looked at him as a play caller and and thought. If you would have done your job better, I think the Cardinals actually win this game. Um, I told you I thought it'd be reasonably close um, because this is the type of game I didn't, I shouldn't, I don't want to make it sound like I was right because I was a little wishy-washy of, I don't trust the Cardinals, I'm not going to back them, but coming off of a huge win at Detroit, this is the type of game 
where NFL teams take it easy. And that's exactly what happened with the Ravens. But the Cardinals play calling in this game, I just look at this number, 37. 37 attempts from Joshua Dobbs. I don't understand why an offensive coordinator would think our best chance to win this game is to have Dobbs throw almost 40 times. Now, to be fair, they were down by two possessions in the fourth quarter. You do need to throw in that situation because you need chunk yards because you've got to get the ball down the field quickly, score as soon as you can. I get that. But it was a similar game plan other than the first drive for the first three quarters. The first drive was a dominant display of running the football. They were fantastic. And I don't know why they thought, I think they overthought themselves. Okay, now that we've been running really good, the Ravens will adjust to it. Let's not run as much. And it became Dobbs happy. Then when they had a key midfield third down and fourth down, then Ross Tucker brought it up on the broadcast. Why are you throwing the football on both that third and fourth down when they can't stop you running the football? And I, I loved both decisions to go for it. The, uh, the Cardinals were 0 for 2 in fourth downs. I like both decisions to go for it. I hated both actual plays that they called. The first one was when Dobbs got the ball batted down. And a lot of times you're going to say, hey, that's not on the quarterback. Guy, you know, bats a ball down. Well, I'm going to look at that and say that's on Drew Petzing because why aren't you running the football when they haven't been able to stop the run uh, so far in the game? Number two, I am going to look at Dobbs a little bit because Dobbs waited. Dobbs had the first window, wasn't sure, waited to the second window. That gave the rush a little bit longer amount of time to get in his face. So you know, 10% on Dobbs, but 90% on Petsing for the call in the first place. The second time, they decided to run. But it was a Cliff Kingsbury type of running play. You know, it was a big misdirection. We're going to fool you like we're going to the outside. We're going to do an inside handoff and have you bounce into the middle of the line instead of so far in this game, they haven't stopped your natural running game. So why do you think you need to trick anybody? I, I, I'm, I'm of the, the phrase, or I love the phrase, if it's not broke, don't fix it. The Ravens could not break your running game until you did. So I thought Pensing had a, a very poor game in this one, and I, I totally believe it cost them. I, I think the Ravens lose this game if Drew Petsing does his job better. You can imagine Jonathan Gannon took a lot of it uh, upon himself. I had about, I don't know, five, six things I wanted to talk about from what Jonathan Gannon had to say. But for some reason, the Arizona Cardinals cut in half the press conference on YouTube from what was actually there. So there's a lot of stuff in the presser that they don't want you to know about for some strange reason. I don't quite understand why that is. But I, I guess, you know, when you're one and seven, you don't need, you don't need fans. So you don't want to bring people as close as you can. And congratulations to Carolina. They won a game. They're now 1-6. So that makes the Arizona Cardinals the worst team that the NFL has possibly seen this year. And they are on track to have the number one pick in the draft. It'll be interesting to note whether or not they take a quarterback with the number one pick in the NFL draft. But here is one the, the only surviving cut of, uh, of the head coach in which uh, Jonathan Gannon took a look at why he always blames himself for what's going on. 
team is unwavering. Um, you know, and I feel a little pissed off because I haven't done enough on my end to get the wins going. Um, but these these guys fight. They keep a good attitude. They stay connected, and that's what you're looking for at your ball club. Now it's the coach's jobs uh, to put them in better positions so we can start winning games. He was asked later on about, and I, I really admired him saying where he's starting to get pissed off is he's not putting them in positions to win games. He was asked, what does that mean? And he went as granular as, how am I setting up practice? What kind of looks are the guys getting? And meaning, what kind of looks are they getting? Is the offense running against specific formations well that the practice team sets up? It's called the card head. If you've ever been to a, a, a football practice before and you see the card head, a guy, one of the coaches will walk out and he'll hold up a card. And it'll have everyone's responsibility on it for the scout team to run so they look just like what the offense is going to see in the upcoming game. And then vice versa is true. So they do that so then they know exactly what that what the Ravens defense, let's say, is going to do. So when they get into a game, yes, I, I recognize this coverage. This is exactly what we practiced against. So he went back and said, I've got to make sure the looks are the right thing. Am I properly evaluating talents of guys that if I'm putting them in this position, are they able to do what I'm asking them to do? He really broke it down saying all of that is my responsibility. I appreciated that from Jonathan Gannon. And unfortunately, I think I'm right, uh, Jeff Weir Production, that that's the only JG we have, right? Uh, you're correct. That's yeah. it, yeah. Um, there's one of the things though, I want to talk about the press conference, which I thought was important, is Bobby Mack, Bobby Manaman of AZ Cardinals, or excuse me, of uh, the Arizona Republic. He was the first one to say, hey, there's a lot of people that want Dobbs benched. They say it's time for Clayton Toon. Um, you know, is is Dobbs still your quarterback? Did you ever have a thought of bringing in Clayton Toon? And he said, no, I'm, I'm not worried about that right now. It's, you know, Dobbs is the guy. And then it was weird. He was asked if Dobbs is going to start next week, and he said, yeah. Then later on, he was asked if Kyler Murray is going to start next week. And he said, oh, we'll see. We'll see. We're taking that day-to-day -day, every day. So that was kind of a weird moment. I think he just said out of reaction, I'm starting Dobbs. Now, my opinion on that, I don't think any of you are idiots or you're just plain wrong if you think it's time for Clayton Toon. There's, there's a legitimate discussion point to say, okay, you're already the worst team in football. What does it matter? Let's evaluate Clayton Toon. It's always dumb to get out of the season without having evaluated Clayton Toon or any rookie quarterback that you have when you've got this opportunity to do it. I get your way of thinking, but let's say Kyler's not coming back this year. If he wasn't coming back, I would say start Clayton Toon after the bye weekend. And you've still got, I think, like four more games till the bye weekend. I believe the bye weekend is the weekend after Thanksgiving, like the first weekend of December. I'd have to look that up to be sure, but it's it's somewhere deep. Let, him, let Clayton Toon start the last four or five games then to evaluate him. If you're looking at the situation as of right now, which quarterback gives the team the best chance to win? To me, it's Kyler Murray, and they're not playing him. 
So next is Dobbs. I still think Dobbs has a better chance to win games than Clayton Toon does. Remember, Clayton Toon is not getting reps, uh, barely any reps in practice. And if you wanted to see what Clayton Toon could do, there's nothing wrong with starting a rookie at the beginning of the year. But starting him now, is he really the future? I mean, think about 2024. The 2024 starting quarterback for the Arizona Cardinals is either Kyler Murray or somebody they draft in the first round. It's one of those two guys. Do you really need to see Clayton Tune to get him ready for 2024? I don't think so. So then it's about winning games. And it's you win both ways. Joshua Dobbs is better equipped. The players know it. You have a better you're showing them that you're trying to win. At the same time, the way he played yesterday, he's not going to win. So for a team that's tanking, you're still going to get what you want, which is the number one pick. He looks terrible right now. I'm not denying the fact that Dobbs had a terrible game. Those two interceptions, one was a terrible physical error, one was a terrible mental error. And then I think on that fourth down where he had the pass batted down, I think he waited too long to throw it and that allowed the pressure to come into his face. He had a bad game. I don't want you to think I'm sugarcoating it. I'm not standing up, sticking up for him. But his bad game, to me, doesn't suddenly make it Clayton Toon time. All right? So I, I'm against the idea of benching Dobbs. If Kyler had no chance of coming back, we need to have that discussion again at some point. But since Kyler's going to come back and play either this weekend or next weekend, I'm, I'm not messing around with, uh, with Clayton Toon. Dobbs is more prepared to win football games at this juncture, and we're not ready to see what Clayton Toon can do because who cares what he can do? He's not the future unless he shows off the world. And if he did show off the world, you might be saying, well, give him that chance. How do you know he's not everything? Well, he would have been doing so much in practice, people would be talking about him. And I don't hear that happening uh, either. Okay, let's get to um, – Kenny Dillingham now, if you could, uh, Jeff Weir production. Uh, the Kenny Dillingham sound that we've got, this was cool. I told you this already, but I want to tell it again. He comes in, sits down, and congratulates Merrill Kelly. He says, Sun Devil alum, go D-backs, great performance. So he here's his first ever conference win, and what's on his mind is he wants to salute the Arizona Diamondbacks. I thought that was cool. And one of the questions he was asked was just simply, what's the difference? What was the difference in this game that allowed you guys to close out and consistently play the best game you've played all year? It just goes back to we didn't change anything. Uh, it goes back to the guys being detail-oriented all week. Uh, and like I said, on Monday, I challenged them pretty heavily. They were calling me Angry Dilly on Monday. And uh, just because, you know, I, I let them know that that's not going to get it done. And for them to respond like that and play their, uh, play their best game, play clean, go eight for 11 on third downs, go five for five in the red zone scoring. You talk about a completely different offensive performance. And it just goes back to just doing your 111th and giving extreme effort. And uh, I think those guys did that and they deserve all the credit. Every time. Something bad happens. Kenny Dillingham is saying, I've got to do a better job of blank. A lot of coaches say it, but you can really tell Kenny means it. Now they get their first win, and he's just throwing flowers at this guy, throwing flowers at that guy, throwing flowers at that guy. He was asked once by Michelle Gardner, who's a writer for the Arizona Republic, and uh, about the relief of finally getting a win. And he goes, listen, I, I, don't, I don't feel relief at all. 
My job is to win. Um, tonight's going to be a lot better than the, the previous nights of losses. But tomorrow, I, I care about the process. We're so far away from where we need to go, but I understand it's a process. So it doesn't matter whether we win or lose as it relates to the process. The process is not affected by wins and losses. The process is teach the guys we've got now, get them up to speed, get us playing to the best of our abilities, get us competing every single play, and then learn. That's what it is. So uh, the next one is what did he think was the reason the run game was so much more successful against Washington State than just about any other opponent other than Southern Utah. Timing of motions, selling of the speed sweep action by the sweet speed sweep runner and not being lazy and showing hands and bursting off the mesh, the track of the back, the H-backs kickout blocks, the effort after the ball was handed off, 11 people just doing their job. That was point blank. It's not no. It's not a magical scheme. The guys just went out there and they played hard and they executed. You know what? I don't know how this would have played out. I could have been run out of the city for this. But when I first became a club coach, I was coaching in a tournament, and we gave up a goal, and the goalie was really upset at giving up the goal, and some nut job parent yelled from the sidelines. That's not your fault, Harley. It's okay. That's your defense's fault. <laughs> the girls were like 9, 11 years old. Can you imagine being a defender and having some parent yell, "It's not it's not this kid's fault, it's your fault." Like, who are you? Like you're not the coach. How do you have a right to label kids on who's at fault. And you know what? Who cares who's at fault? Everybody's at fault. And I, what am I, listen, again, I, I don't know how I would have gotten ripped for this, but I still regret this. I regret not stopping the game, walking out onto the field and just, and I don't know who said, to this day, I don't know who said it, but just ripping everybody. I'm serious. I would. I wish I would have done that. And I just. I was in such shock that it happened. It was like my first smack in the face of. Here's the difference between club ball and rec ball. And I wish I would have went out there and said, "Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You know whose fault it is? It's my fault. All right. Blame the guy in his. At the time I was in my 30s. Blame the guy in his 30s. All right. I know the game. I haven't taught them what they needed to do right there. And you know what? It's everybody's fault. Okay, let's not let, let's quit trying to hide kids from adversity and then act shocked when they can't handle adversity when they're older. Let's let them go through adversity in the safe environment of a soccer field instead of running to say, no, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. Guess what? Harley could have done something a little better on that play. The defense could have been more attacking. You know the midfielders are allowed to actually put pressure on the central part of the field so the passing isn't as easy to set up that cross. And you know what strikers are allowed to do? Strikers are actually allowed to hustle. Strikers are allowed to stay on sides. Strikers are allowed to move the ball and create scoring opportunities and not just take wild shots because you're paying your kid an extra 10 bucks every time they score. Well, you're not paying the defenders every time they make a stop. I don't know how I would have gotten ripped if I'd have been the coach to walk out there and yell. 
But that's what I felt like doing, and I, I didn't do it. And I actually regret that. Why do I bring that story up? Coach was asked about the run game, and look at all the details. He, he congratulated the offensive line. Then he went after, he, he congratulated the motion guy, that the motion guy ran his motion to fool the other team, to really show the eye candy so the defense says, uh-oh, he might be getting it. Even if you're just keeping two guys honest, that gets the ball carrier that much more of an opportunity to bust it. He went through the entire team and said, everybody did this. And I always told everybody on the team, when we score, we all scored, and when we give up a goal, it's everybody's fault. And I look at that, as kind of the same philosophy that I'm hearing from Kenny Dillingham, and I really really liked it. Last one is kind of hilarious, just to give you the tone. We're about 20 minutes into the press conference. Everybody's ready to go home. Okay, we're done here. Uh, it's time to be done with the presser. And the microphone goes to, and God bless them, I was this way too, but it goes to one of the Cronkite kids who is scared to death to ask a question, ask the most boring, long-winded question about how great the ASU defense is. And the reason why, sorry, Alice, and the reason why it was dumb of asking that question was because of the fact that the defense really wasn't that great in this ASU game for once. And yet he's going on and on about the defense. And then when he was asked the ending question, which was, can you, without giving up too much to your competition, can you explain your schemes? Such a cheeseball question, but look what Kenny Dillingham does with this question to turn it into a marketing answer for any young defensive tackle out there. The entire program is about attacking. It's a full approach, right? You can't say you're going to attack on defense and not on offense and not on special teams and not be aggressive and go for it. If you're going to in a mindset that we're going to play to win games and we're not going to play scared, then you have to attack in every phase. And I think that's just the how we coach. It's how we play. We play free and we play attacking. And I really don't know of a better place to play defensive line in the entire country than in this scheme. Uh, I don't. I think if you're a defensive lineman in the country and you watch our defensive lineman, you watch all the transfers that are brought in and the production they've had with, in the, within Coach Ward's scheme, I think it should brighten everybody's eyes to say that could be me. And I think that's really what we should be highlighting is how aggressive our defensive line is, how free they play in the production of these kids that had no production at their prior school. And now they're coming out of here and they're top 10 in the country in sacks, right? One of the top PFF guys in the country, a defensive tackle. That's something people should want to play in moving forward. Brilliant. Just a brilliant answer. Hey, we should be talking about why you couldn't get sacks or TFLs, tackles for loss, where you used to be, but you're getting it here. We make your draft stock go up. Going somewhere else makes it go down. Is that totally true? You know, it depends on the player, but it's just funny that that's where he went with that. I thought that was uh, brilliant. All right, now let's get into U of A. And U of A, a great win for them over Oregon State, in which Oregon State came into the game ranked 11th in the country. Another performance by Fafita where you say that guy is the starting quarterback. Uh, 
one pick was a pretty bad one that he had no idea that a defender was there. But I understand how a young quarterback gets fooled by a lineman dropping into coverage. I can't remember whether it was a linebacker or a lineman dropping into coverage. But I, I might have been a linebacker. But I can understand how he got fooled by that. Should he know? You should never get fooled by it. Does it happen to great NFL quarterbacks? Yes, it does. But uh, here is Jed Fish with his opening remarks. I always love the opening remarks as uh, U of A is now almost within striking, or they are within striking distance, one win away from going to a bowl. Well, first of all, thank you all for saying. I hope you enjoyed the game and um, been a part of a, that was a great win. That was a great win by the team. Uh, we, uh, we certainly appreciate our fans tonight to start with that. Uh, I thought it was by far the best third to fourth quarter that we've had in terms of the amount of people that, that were here. And that's the expectation. The expectation is we just keep building. And uh, next week, we're going to need everybody. We need a sold-out crowd uh, next week for sure. But um, I want to first off, hats off to Oregon State. Uh, I think Coach, I have so much respect for Coach Smith. Uh, he does it the right way. He's built his program um, really, really uh, in a way that we all try to emulate. And um, he just had a, you know, it was one of those games that almost everything was equal. 30 rushes, 29 rushes, 62 plays, 62 plays, 27 first downs, 24 first downs whatever it might have been. But the final score was a field goal game, and that's what it felt like it was the whole time. And uh, I'm glad that we came out on top. Uh, hats off to our team. I think our team had a, uh, uh, a fantastic resilience about themselves. They, uh, we didn't really look at the score. They went down, they scored 7 nothing. Then it was, well, we kicked the field goal 7-3. Then we took the lead. Uh, then they tied it up. And, you know, then we took the lead. Then they took the lead. It was one of those great games that went back and forth, back and forth. Uh, as we expected. And in that fourth quarter, um, I think everybody just, you know, raised it up a notch. And I think that's a credit to our players, to Coach Owens, to the way we train, to our mentality um, that we always said we don't win the game in the first quarter, second quarter or third quarter. Right. You win the game in the fourth quarter. And um, it was a pretty awesome job. Jacob uh, had another great game, eight tackles, made some huge hits out there. Um, he just felt him lead the defense. Uh, Noah did a fantastic job leading the offense tonight, made some huge plays for us at times um, that we needed big-time plays, and we, we made them. And uh, Mike Wiley also had a tremendous game uh, as well. It was great to have him back. But uh, I would say, really, all in all, it was a great team win. Um, all three phases contributed to the win, and uh, it was a blast to coach that game, and I can't wait for uh, next Saturday. That's the best part about this. We get to do it again next week. Can't remember if they're home or on the road next weekend. They take on UCLA. Um, so I need to cheat and look that up. Uh, home. Home against UCLA. This is going to be an unpopular opinion with a lot of you. I'm not trying to piss you off, but I'm not going to apologize when I do. U of A fans, as of right now, you don't deserve Jed Fish to be your head coach anymore. Do you not see what he's building? You didn't sell out against the number 11 team in the country? Now, I realize it's hard to get your mind around the fact that Oregon State's number 11, and they won't be anymore, but they're number 11. But the 11th best team in the country, U of A has them at home, and they win, and you don't sell out. That, that's amazing. And it's okay It's okay to just give up. It's okay to say, you know what, we're just not a football school. We don't care. Okay. But no more excuses. No more whining. 
if you can't support what this guy has built, if you're not a good enough fan to see what this guy is doing, then he needs to leave. You know, it's no longer about any other reason than if I'm Jed Fish and I'm saying, okay, what else can I do to build this program? How is it that you're not seeing it as a fan base? This isn't just a Tucson thing. This is an entire state. So don't say you're a big U of A fan, you love U of A, go Wildcats, blah, 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 drive around with your cool little license plate stickers, and you're not going to the games. I don't even like it that you didn't go to games before when you stunk because fans go. But now with what Jed Fish is building and you're not there, you're going to lose him, and everyone's going to whine and complain that Jed Fish this, Jed Fish that. No, no. Just let me tell you now, when he's the head coach of somebody else in two years, don't get mad at me because I'm going to go back to games like yesterday or games like Saturday. Uh, what do you think about Noah's performance? Here's uh, Noah's numbers, which were absolutely not perfect, but great. He went 25 of 32, so only seven incomplete passes, 275 yards, and other than that bad touchdown, he offset it with three TD pass or bad interception. He offset it with three great TD passes. Yeah, I thought Noah had a great, great game tonight. Um, did a great job in uh, managing the game. As always, we always look back and we always want to take a play or two or three and uh, learn from them. But um, he did a fantastic job in running the team and uh, in a situation where uh, the game was going back and forth that showed great poise and composure and um, everything we always expect out of him. Now, I got to tell you something crazy about this game if you didn't see it, if you didn't watch this game. It's a really cool stat. Oregon State, perfect in the red zone. I think it was 25 out of 25. I can't remember. But somewhere in the mid-20s, every time they got into the red zone, they scored. Not every time it was a touchdown. But they've never turned it over, both giving up the football or turning it over on downs, ever, in the red zone. Always, every possession in the red zone ended with a kick, either a field goal or an extra point. That's a great number, okay? For the first time all year... They were stopped from scoring in the red zone. So when Jed Fish was asked about the performance of the defense, he focused on the red zone. And red zone defense has been a huge priority for us in keeping these guys out of the end zone and um, making a big stop, you know, keeping them at 75%. This was a team that scored every single time they were in the red zone up until this game. Uh, this is the first time that they, uh, that they didn't score in the red zone, that they, we were three for four, they were three for four this week. And um, that, that one stop is the game. And uh, that was, you know, we were three for three. So, you know, we're sitting here now at 32 for 34 in the red area. And our defense um, is continuing to keep teams at about, uh, they're, they're at about 75%, which is fantastic. Did you hear that? That one stop was the game. He said it. That is Coach Jed Fish saying the one stop they got in the red zone was the game. Now, before I talk about the one stop, because you might not know what the one stop was. Maybe you didn't watch the U of A game yesterday or Saturday. That one stop was amazing. The one stop that U of A got, I have now made a demotion, okay? The top three dumbest plays I've ever seen in the history of football, okay? Doesn't mean you might not have one that's dumb, or if you do, feel free to email me your top three dumbest plays that you can ever think of that you've ever seen in the game of football, okay? Here are my top three. 
number one, Super Bowl 49 in Glendale. Play clock at five. Pass is intercepted at the goal line by Malcolm Butler. Unreal. Malcolm Butler, who almost made the phenomenal play that wound up in Percy's arms. There are flags on the field for a celebration. Amazing. Okay, so that one is Malcolm Butler, the greatest athlete in the history of the University of West Alabama, if you're wondering. If you think that's not funny, tell that to Kevin Guy sometime, if you're wondering. (laughs) So Malcolm Butler with the pick. You have Marshawn Lynch. Beast mode was unstoppable that year, and the Seahawks say, no, we're not going to give the ball to Marshawn Lynch. We're going to try a goal line pass. Throw a pick, game's over, you lose the Super Bowl. Single dumbest play call I've ever seen in my life. That's number one, okay? Let me give you number two, okay? Number two dumbest play call of all time. It even has a name. It was so stupid. Colts catastrophe. In the history of football, the punt returner drops back. Well, since the punt returner drops back, if you run a fake punt that includes your punter, you're going 11 on 10. 11 on 10. You got good odds. In 2015, one time, the Colts decided, we don't want the odds in our favor, so instead of going 11 on 10, let's go 2 on 4. Practice all those throws. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah. Now we've got, on a fourth down and three, you got Griff Whalen ready to take the snap. He'll snap it. Actually, Colt Anderson is behind him. What in the world? Flag is down. You tell me. Now, the flag was even for an illegal formation. They didn't even get the formation. It's so funny. That is the second dumbest play call I've ever seen in my life, okay? Those are two. Now, the third dumbest I've ever seen until Saturday was not really a play. It was a decision by a guy named Marty Morinweg coaching the Detroit Lions at Soldier Field. The old, the old way of doing overtime was overtime was sudden death. There was none of this cheesy, you get a turn now, you get a turn now, you get a turn, everybody gets a turn. Oh, you only kicked the field goal, somebody else gets a turn now. We didn't do that. It was play the game, whoever scores wins. So in a game of sudden death, whoever scores wins, wouldn't you like to have the ball? Marty Morinweg in overtime decided, no, we're going to defend this goal. Wait, you don't want the ball? We're going to defend the Okay. Uh, Bears, do you want to kick off or receive? Oh, well, we'll receive. Okay. Bears march down, kick a field goal, they win the game. That's just stupid. That, to me, was always the third dumbest until this game. U of A hosting Oregon State. Remember how he said the whole game was determined by getting the stop in the red zone. Do you know how they got the stop in the red zone? With three seconds remaining in the half, Oregon State had this idea that their kicker could outrun 11 Division I athletes. Seppington, the kicker. K 
kicking from the 30. That's good hold. So he's going to outrun 11 athletes for 30 yards. And he's brought down inside the 10. But no time. 30 I yards. It. I don't get it. <laughs> your kicker's your best athlete who's going to get you to the end zone? <laughs> they tried it in their last possession, but they had the penalty and they had to kick it. But it's all or nothing. You got to get to the end zone. You don't get another first down here. <laughs> and that's the guy you want to try to. Oh, my God. You have three seconds left. That means if you want to go for the end zone, I, I don't even like the idea of not taking points. But if you want to throw it into the end zone with three seconds left, I still think it's wrong, but it's not the dumbest thing I've ever seen. You actually looked at your entire team, and no coach stood up at any point and said, Coach, do, do we think our kicker can run 30 yards faster than they can? Really? Like, nobody stood up to it. And they actually thought it made sense to run a fake field goal with their kicker running through the line of scrimmage. He'll get 30 yards before they figured out what happened. They lost the game, according to Jed Fish because of the stop in the red zone, and that was the one time. So a team that's perfect in the red zone loses their streak of perfection on that play call. There you go. Uh, now time for us to get ready for the main event. The main event is coming up from 8 to 10 this morning. Steve McCollum is in his studio. Steve, do you disagree with any of the three dumbest play calls you've ever seen? Is there, is there one in your mind that sticks out, that jumps out, and just explodes into the top three? Yeah, no, I mean, you got to cover pretty well. I'm sure, I'm sure there is. It's just we're not, you know, we can't think of it. Because, uh, yeah, I don't, you know, I'm sitting there. I can't remember what I was doing on Saturday night. And every, you know, Twitter explodes yep. and everything. And I'm like, what? And you look at it, and you're like, what? <laughs> and then it's even worse when you find out the context of it, you know? And yes. it's just like, whatever, man. <laughs> it was good to reminisce about the Colts catastrophe of that fake punt. Yeah, down. yeah, that... Like, Chuck Pagano's face is just, that's the face of, oh, God, I'm going to be made fun of for this. <laughs> what did I do? He knows. I, I've read about it. Uh, Pat McAfee has talked about it on his podcast. Yeah. Supposedly, they were never supposed no. to snap it. No, I think. It was, we're yeah. going to get a 12-man on the field penalty because the Patriots are going to be caught in a substitution. Yeah. It'll fool them. And, and, if, and if you look at it. Yeah, and if you look at it, when he snaps it, quarterback, you know, the guy isn't ready for it. Yeah. So I, I believe I believe that one hundred percent. But why are you even wasting it's like it's like when college teams, you know, they go for the extra point and they line up with that funky lineup, you know, and then they then they go into formation. It's like stop yes. wasting our time with that garbage. Yes, man. yes, I'm, I'm I'm totally with you. How are you? What'd you do this weekend? Uh, all football? All the time? Yeah, Chaparral High School. Got to call that game on Friday night uh, by myself, which was fun. Oh yeah, how'd you do? Uh, it was forty-five and nothing at halftime. So it was oh, a lot cool. of uh, two and a half hours of me filling time. You know, uh, then an ASU game, of course, on Saturday, and then Cardinals yesterday. Ravens. What'd you think of uh, ASU? Nice win. Yeah, hey, I, I mean, I picked them to win, so I'm not surprised. Look, it's what happened to Washington State. They were yeah, once they, top fourteen. They've fallen off the face of the planet. Um, they're they're the they're well. The good news for Washington State is with this four game losing streak is that um, uh, USC is about to go unranked, and their coaching staff's about to quit. Uh, if they haven't quit, like, they've already quit already, but they're about to quit quit. Uh, and so that's going to be the biggest story than Washington State's uh, meltdown here coming up. You uh, you really think, like, what's Lincoln Riley going to do? 
Oh, they don't care. I got a clip of his press. He, he, they don't. They just don't care anymore. Okay. They, uh, they, they're, they're awful. They're, they're absolutely terrible. Uh, their mindset isn't right. The coaching staff, the players just don't care anymore. Uh, and uh, look, they beat Cal by what one point? Yeah. And they got yeah. Oregon, Washington coming up, and then UCLA. Uh, they're going to be out of the top twenty-five here in the next couple of weeks. It's not even going to be close. Speaking of uh, speaking of Oregon, I I said that they would win, but I thought the line was bad. That uh, Utah would keep it close. Yeah, so did I. Would you? Would you? Oh, did you, I was going to say? Would I, you tell me how I, I did on I, that one? I actually thought Utah what would win that did game. Did you? Did you? Yeah, oh yeah. man, I blew that one. At home at Utah, it snowed, extra cold, which I know it gets cold up in Oregon, so don't, you know. But but um, not like that. No, I thought a lot of things were going Utah's way. I thought they were out physical Oregon in terms of physicality because that's generally what Utah does, and none of that happened. And I thought there'd be a little bit of UW hangover with uh, with Oregon against UW. I realize it was yeah. UW that won, but for Oregon to know if we would have done better on those fourth but downs, we would have won. That, I, I felt like they thought they yeah, were Yeah, but that was okay. two weeks ago now. Yeah. So, um, You're right. But, I mean, but Oregon, after they lost to Washington, they, were, they had the right mindset, I thought. They had the better mindset than Washington did yeah where they were like look we got to win out to have a chance to win this now and blah 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 so I thought they had the right mindset right mindset but now they went into uh Salt Lake there and just kicked some butt it was oh, impressive yeah, yeah. That was, how about the Jayhawks in Oklahoma yes yes that was the big one I know uh, I never in a million years would have uh would would have picked that one. Uh, even even the Jayhawks were like did we did we just do this <laughs> and they had like an hour and a half rain delay yeah. or hour and 15 yeah. minutes well, I should say rain lightning delay yeah the lightning so, uh, more than rain. that was uh that was pretty crazy any issues with Cardinals I yeah. I, I don't I say don't go to Clayton tune but no. I'm shocked that the world is in favor of it yeah I mean sorry if you're if you're clamoring for Clayton tune in the media especially in the media uh, you guys are idiots <laughs> I'll just I'll just say it right now. You guys are idiots. And if you got a problem with it, come talk to me because I'll tell you why you're an idiot. Uh, it's stupid. The only time you're going to see Clayton Tune because he, you don't have a chance to win with Clayton Tune. You got a chance to win with Dobbs. Uh, you know uh, more so than you do Tune. I am tired of seeing Dobbs over not make NFL throws at times during the game. It's weird. He'll make this throw that you're like, ah, there you go, and then he'll just overshoot his tight end across the middle and a crossing route for an easy interception, right? Uh, but the only time you're going to see Tune, and I tweeted it out yesterday, if you see Tune in this game, that's because Kyler Murray's playing next week. Because you can't go back to Dobbs if you go oh, to Tune. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. And and uh, so this week in Baltimore, you might see Tune at some point in this game. Because uh, I'm sorry, in uh, in uh, Cleveland, because mm-hmm. Cleveland has got one of the best defenses. Uh, and, and then the second you see Tune, that tells you the next week you're going to see Kyler Murray starting the game. I I am one. I would actually be okay starting Tune if you honestly felt no. like. That he's the future, yeah, but or, no, or has a chance yeah. to even be the future. Yeah. I don't see it. Like, really think of a scenario where he would be the 2024 starting quarterback. It just doesn't make sense. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you want to look, the coaching staff and the players are trying to win these games. Like everybody's like, oh, tank, 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 tank. The players and the coaches don't care about the tanking mentality. If mm-hmm. they did, Tune would be in there, folks. Not only that, Buda Baker wouldn't be yeah, playing. Yeah. Thompson would still be resting. You know, uh, the you know some of the linemen wouldn't be in there playing hurt. Uh, so that tells you they're they're trying hard to be in this game. Dobbs is one of those players that it's not a this isn't a knock on Dobbs. It's just. He's not good enough to be a starting quarterback in this league, but he's good enough to be a good backup, kind of like Colt McCoy going, you know, 
Yeah. Playing yeah, two, yeah. three ball games while the starter's out and then get him the heck out of there. And that's where we are with Dubs. He can make NFL throws, but he'll also miss several NFL throws in pertinent times that an NFL quarterback makes. And you see that every week. So it's not on Dobbs. He's there. Look, it's just his time is up. We need Kyler Murray back. Period. End of story. And and Toon's not the answer, folks. No, there's no if Toon was the answer, he'd be in there. And he's not. And that tells you everything you need to know. It's not a knock on Toon. He's just not ready to go in there right, and play. Right. And uh, and even if he was ready to play, is he really the answer going forward? Because if yeah. he's like, I think you take a step down if he's the answer going forward because you want to build him up, let him learn now. If he's not the answer going forward, then it's got to be only who's the best quarterback. Yeah, and that's 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 clearly Dobbs. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. I mean, it's as bad as Dobbs plays. Dobbs plays at time. He plays well enough that he has not lost this job. While you're waiting, like even if Kyler Murray wasn't in the wings to come back, the only reason you go to Tune, like I could see if Dobbs is playing all season, then week 16, 17, you want to see what Dune ha- Tune has when you're one and whatever. Otherwise, mm-hmm. no, yeah, no, get out of here with that garbage. The most popular guy on the team is the guy holding the clipboard. We all know that. <laughs> that too many people think like that. Uh, now, I, again, I'm all for giving other guys a chance when it's just crap if they've got a future. But to just throw darts? Okay, yeah. let's see what that yeah. – that, no. If Clayton Toon's a Cardinals starting quarterback in two, three, four years, we're all in trouble. <laughs> yes, and it won't be Jonathan Gannon's by then because he Yeah, he'll he be, gone be gone by then. Yeah, yeah. All right, yeah. have a good show. All right, see you. I am uh, I'm still really frustrated. Still really, really frustrated. I went 2-2-1 two, two, and one yesterday. Which you might think, well, that doesn't sound that bad to be 500. Obviously, it means you lose money when you're, uh, when you're 500. Not always, but this time I did. But it's my Bobcats that just so thoroughly embarrass themselves. I, I totally get it that you could care less about a mid-American conference rivalry. But for my team to be so woefully unprepared to have the most penalty yards that they've had all year, for a defense, now you're going to laugh, but the defense is nationally ranked in the top six in the country. And they have played Iowa State and San Diego State, so two Power 5 teams. Well, San Diego State's not a Power 5 team, but two teams that are reasonably good. And yet, they got gashed in the running game and then committed penalties every time that the other team passed. It's just atrocious. So I had my Bobcats minus seven and a half. They didn't cover because they didn't win. And you heard heard what uh, Steve McCollum and I were talking about. I had Utah plus the six and a half against Oregon. That was close. Oregon only won 35 to 6. So that's that's right there in that six and a half window. And uh, the other game that I wait, I actually got that wrong. I gave myself a check mark for my for being ignorant. And I actually did not finish 2-2 and 1. I finished 1-3 and 1. Oh man. Doesn't that upset you when you uh you look at it last night and say, oh, I went 2-2-1. Two, two no, I was worse than that. The only game I got right is I said the uh, Hurricanes would easily beat San Jose and cover the goal and a half on the puck line. 
and Carolina won three to nothing. Friday night with both Nathan Eovaldi and uh, uh, Max Scherzer, no, Nathan Eovaldi and Zach Gallen on the mound, I thought it would be under the eight and a half, and it ended up 6-5. That's why that, oh, that two-run homer from Seager crushed me. It's 5-3, bottom of the ninth. I've got the under at eight and a half. I'm good. D-backs are going to win game one, and I got the under. Here we go. Boom. Two-run homer. Now we're tied, and I lose. Thanks. Thanks, Paul Seawall. Thank you very much. So I end up with that mess, and then I my tie is I had the Eagles minus seven over Washington, and Washington actually played okay at times. Lost 38-31. Today, I'm not touching Diamondbacks. No way. I correctly predicted that the Astros would destroy Max Scherzer in his first game back. I got that one right. Sometimes all you need is that one. All you need is that one. So I'm not going to bet against Max Scherzer. Right now the Rangers are favored on the run line. But how many times am I going to bet against Brandon Fott and be wrong? I've literally lost $5 every time Brandon Fott has pitched in this postseason because I thought the other team would win. And the Diamondbacks are 4-0 when he pitches. So there's no way I'm touching this game because I believe Scherzer's going to be better and I believe that Brandon Fought is now a money stealer. <laughs> so I'm not touching that. So then there's the over-under. That's set at 9. I I think it's going to be under 9. I think Max is going to be better, but I'm not – no way am I actually putting money on it. So I'm not touching tonight's game at all. I still say D-backs win in six games, but I don't know when that loss is going to come at home to push it back to Texas. So then you got tonight in Monday Night Football. I like Detroit minus the seven over Vegas. I I think Vegas is absolutely terrible. Absolutely terrible. So I like that. And then the Boston Celtics today, they're a 10-point favorite uh, on the road at Washington. I think Washington is just dogs. So I like the Celtics being able to cover that on the road against Washington. And that's pretty much it. I don't really like any of the other games uh, in the NBA. I'm kind of keeping my eye on Denver, Utah, but nah, not going there. And then I didn't like any NHL games. I've only got two games on the docket today. That does it for today's version of Doug Franz Unplugged, presented by Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass. Today's show is presented by ADOT as well, the Arizona Department of Transportation. Whenever you're busy and you need a road closed in your way, a dot is there for you. That, I think that's their new tagline. Whenever you need something shut down, we can do that. Whirlwind, uh, unplugged at whirlwind.com, unplugged at whirlwind.com. That's the website, unplugged at whirlwind.com to get the best savings you can possibly have. And now that the weather's broken and it's basically low 80s every day, jump on that plan. $2.99 a year, $34 a month, and you might even save $100 a round depending on your tea time. You get the lowest rate whenever you book. You can book five days early, plenty of time to get your tea time in, 15% off all of your food and beer at Civlik, 
15% off with the Pro Shop. There's the website if you're watching right now on WTSMTV.com. Just go to unplugged.whirlwind.com and inquire about being a Whirlwind Plus member. If you click on the button for sign up today, it'll go through everything on what are the benefits of the plan of actually becoming a member. The best sandwich in all of Arizona is the Nashville Hot Chicken Sandwich at Bell's Nashville Kitchen. The best breakfast burrito you've ever had in your life is at Burrito Express. They're located all throughout the east side, seven different locations. Parker and Sons Heating, Cooling, Plumbing, and Electrical might want to call them now that the weather's better because they buy a ton of air conditioning units because of everybody else's crapping out. Well, hardly anybody's craps out now that it's not really in use. So what do you do? You can save a ton of money on a new air conditioning unit right now. Call 602-2-REPAIR. That's 602, the number two, then R-E-P-A-I-R for Parker and Sons. The official sports bar of Doug Franz Unplugged is at Ray and McQueen. It is the Rosati's, but only the one at Ray and McQueen. So never forget that, that that's the place to go for pizza, wings, and to actually be able to hear the sporting event that's on the television. Izzy is back today. Welcome back, Izzy. Isaiah Jackson Jr. will take you from 10 to noon. The main event is up next. I'll see you tomorrow.